is election season, just in case you didn't know that. You know, you haven't seen the parades or the mailings or things on television. And so with that, today, starting our sermon, we're actually going to have a debate in here. All right. And some of you are like, what? Like trying to figure out, are you being called up? You are not. I've already talked to two individuals. So Merle and Chad, if you guys would come on up to the stage. We are having a debate here right off the beginning because there are certain topics that just continue to divide people. All right. And so we need to make sure that we have all the facts, we understand things, so that way we know, you know, what our say ought to be as well. And so Chad and Merle are coming up here, uh, which is a little scary. I have no idea what's going to happen, but they're going to come. This debate that we have is all about, should Christmas songs be played before Thanksgiving or not? Okay? And man... Oh, you could pray for us, right? Just kidding. So this topic, you know, should Christmas songs be played before Thanksgiving or not? Maybe you have opinion. Maybe you are about to be swayed by our two people giving you the sides. And so we're going to find out here. And so I believe, Chad, you are arguing that they should not be played before Thanksgiving, correct? And Merle, you're going to do the opposite side that they should be. All right. Well, let me get this thing on. You guys have 30 seconds. I'm cutting you off at 30 seconds, even if you're in the middle of a fantastic argument, because we have other places to go. So Chad, tell us why. I should, maybe in just a second. Check the chicken. Chicken check. There we go. <laughs> so this is why songs should be played only after Thanksgiving. Right. Well, the first reason is we don't need any more Mariah Carey. <laughs> <laughs> I beg the difference. <laughs> okay, like so it takes Mariah away. Carey. Hey, hey, that's three seconds. Hey, come on now. Come on. Hurry up. Uh, so it takes Get away it. the full meaning of Thanksgiving, which celebrates the values and the blessings that God has given us. Uh, society also makes us rush to uh, makes makes us rush too much so that we can't focus on Jesus, and also playing songs uh, too early. Is that the right advantage? <laughs> Thirty seconds to prepare. Oh my goodness! Uh, focus early on the the stores getting us to focus on all the materialism instead of Jesus, uh, and and giving thanks for what the pilgrims had done many many years ago. All right, sounds good. So you've gotten the arguments, you know, for after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Merle feels like he's going to tell you why before Thanksgiving is okay. So, obviously, we need to start early. We need to get on this thing with uh, Christmas and listen to music right now because because Christmas is like the most important, one of the most important parts of the year for us fellow Christians. We need to get focused on it. If we wait too late and we don't have the music that's getting us ready for it, then we're going to miss the whole point of Christmas. We've got to be focused. We've got to be intent. We've got to have purpose. We have to have reason. I was a coach. I was a coach at one time. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we need to start now. There's too much commercialization. If we don't get on it right now, we're going to get sucked into all that. We've got to get away from all that stuff and keep our eyes focused on it. And so it's Thanksgiving. Who cares about that anyway? <laughs> all right, there we go. So I don't know if you have been swayed or not, but first of all, give these guys a hand. You guys can head down with a chair too. All right, so how many of you are listened to Christmas before Thanksgiving? Who's in there that way? Yes, okay. And who is the opposite side? Nope, it's after Thanksgiving, okay. Some of you are even different. We'll see. So you guys have just had this, you've heard this debate and all that kind of stuff. I was reminded this week of a song by Matthew West, and it's called Gobble Gobble, all right? If you have never seen it, you need to go to YouTube and, and 
and search out Gobble Gobble by Matthew West. And the song itself is great, but the video is even greater. They have people dancing around in turkey costumes because they're like, man, all these great songs of Christmas, but there's no good Thanksgiving songs. And so they created this, which is pretty comical. And I'm not going to tell you everything, but within this comical kind of song, there's one sentence that simply says, someone brought up politics and now everyone's mad. Like they're all gathered around this Thanksgiving table and someone brought up politics and now everyone's mad. And so I don't know if that's you and your family or if that's just, hey, we kind of steer away from that when we're all gathering together. But as we're talking about storms, like, and that word politics, it often brings up emotions for people, all right? And so it is a storm that we're sometimes trying to figure out how are we gonna live amongst this culture, amongst this political situation? And I'm reminded of a text out of um, 2 Peter. Let me get the right paper here. Out of 2 Peter, that talks about, uh, in verse 1, 3, it says, God has given us everything we need to live this life full of godliness. Like, God has given us everything we need. And so, I believe that even includes, in this uh, realm of politics, like, how do we live out our faith? How do we live as Christians amongst this? And so today I want to tell you five different actions that I think can help us live amongst the storm of politics, and maybe it won't be quite so stormy. So here's the first thing that I would tell you, is that one, we need to obey the government. All right, we need to obey the government. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 13. All right, Romans chapter 13. This is probably the most common text when people are talking about this idea of politics and authorities and and, and government. All right, so Romans chapter 13 is where we're starting and listening to this idea that we are called to um, obey the government. Starting right at verse 1 of chapter 13, we're reading the first seven verses. It says that everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. So this is also why you pay taxes for the authorities or God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And if honor, then honor. And so Romans 13 here, it says, God set up governments. He set up this authority to do good. Like that is its role, to make sure that there is peace in the land, that this is good, this is wrong, and there's justice that comes alongside of that. So we are called as Christians to obey the government. But maybe your mind is already like, yeah, but like they didn't see our government or they didn't see what's going on right now for us. I hear what you're saying, except that do you think that everything really was going great in all the governments as Paul is writing this? Like, do you think he's looking around going, man, everything's great, so we ought to obey right now. No. He says, you know what? As Christians, you and I, we are called to obey. And we'll get into that a little bit more here in just a second. But as he keeps talking, he says, you know what? There's also this idea of if you have taxes, make sure you're paying that. Pay what is owed. You know, it reminds me of Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus is asked, should we pay taxes? And he says, hey, give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God's. 
Like you are, as a follower of Christ, still supposed to follow the authorities that have been put in place. In fact, if you have your Bible still open, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, because there's another text here that sounds fairly similar to what we just read. It's not quite as long, but 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 13. Right above that in my Bible, it says, submission to rulers and masters. So chapter 2, verse 13 says this, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It says, live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. Like even there, it's talking about this idea. There are these differing levels of authority that have been set up and we are still called to, to obey. And he said, yes, you are living this life of freedom. The freedom that Christ has brought to us, you have freedom within there, but you are not allowed to use that freedom to just rebel against government, to say, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. We are supposed to live with respect and it will make a difference. There's a verse in Titus chapter three, verses one and two that says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. Again, you hear this idea of sounding the similar things. And so this authority that God has established, you and I are called to obey them. And listen to some of God's role in all of this. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it says, He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and he raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Or there's a time in John when Jesus is on trial, he is standing there with Pilate and Pilate says, why are you not answering me? Don't you understand that I have the power to crucify you or free you? And so then in John chapter 19, or yeah, 19 verse 11, Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And then he says, therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. He says, you know what? You have authority only because God has allowed you to have it. And so if he wouldn't have given it to you, you would not be in a place of authority whatsoever. And so still this question, okay, God established authority. Does that mean every single individual he set there? Or does that mean he established the authority? I mean, some people struggle both ways. There's a debate going on about this. And so some questions are like, okay, I see people like Hitler and I'm seeing people like Nero. And you're telling me that God placed them into power at that spot? Not necessarily. But I will also tell you, if you go back into the Old Testament, he used the countries of Assyria and Babylon to come into Judah and Israel. You see some of these kings that are not doing what they should do, and yet God was still upon that. And so I do definitely believe that God can use even evil kings, even uh, evil governments. So what I think Scripture is saying, and you can still have a differing opinion, but based off this, I believe God says he has established the role of authority, of governments that you and I are called to obey. Now, sometimes people will say, okay, I take this verse, and that means I'm supposed to obey no matter what. There is never, ever a time to not obey. And I would say that that is almost correct. I would say that there's also a scripture in the book of Acts where Peter and the other apostles have been brought in, and they're like, we told you not to go around and speak about Jesus. Why are you doing this? And so then in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, it says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. 
I would tell you, if you're looking at Scripture, the time that we are allowed not to just obey authority would be when it is in direct contrast to what God has set up. I think sometimes we look for loopholes and we're like, I don't want to do this or whatever, so I'm not going to obey. And that's not allowed within Scripture. But there's this time, if I am being called to do something that is opposite what God's word says, then there's a time to take a stand for him. Every other time, you and I, we are called to submit to the governing authorities. Here's what else I would tell you as far as living out within the storm of politics. Number two is that we should pray for leaders. You and I, we are called to pray for leaders. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and Paul just has a couple little verses here that, again, are important in us just being able to weather the storm of politics. What do we do? What is our part? And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're just going to start at verse 1. Verses 1 and 2, this is what he writes. He says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. He says, you know what? I urge you to continue to lift up people, to be praying for them. And he said to continue to pray for your leaders. And he didn't just say pray for the leaders that you agree with. He said lift up the leaders, those who are over you. And as you do this, you'll be able to live at peace with one another. So let me ask you this question. Do you pray as much as you talk about political issues or political candidates? Or maybe not talk, let's do it this way. Do you pray as much as you complain about whatever kind of political climate there is? Because that's what I see Scripture telling us to do, is to make sure that we're lifting those things up and lifting those people up. In fact, those that are in office are human beings. And their ideology, the things that they think, the things that they stances that they're going for, That is not who they are in entirety, but sometimes we do that. We grab onto something that they say or something that they push, and we say, this is the type of person that they are. And you and I, we need to be praying for those who are in authority. And so not just praying for them, but giving them wisdom and things like that, but maybe just praying for our own hearts as well. God, help me to be able to lift them up and help me to see things from their side. And even if I don't agree, God, help you step in and do these things, but may we be praying for those in leadership. And could I tell you, if you're in government in any kind of way, politics in any way, a reminder of Scripture is that you serve the people. What is best for them? How do I stand on the Word of God? How do I come along and serve them, not just give way to money? You know what? I came across as I was looking at this, and and someone sent me this uh, campaign brochure from Don Myers. A lot of you know Don Myers. He, for years, was involved uh, in the state government and such. And so in one of his campaign brochures, it said this, at any given time, a legislator might be expected to fill the role of an attorney, an arbitrator, a social worker, a banker, a minister, or just plain good listener. At all times, a legislator must rely on good judgment, common sense, patience, and the unchanging word of God. You know what, as I listen to that and just hear all the responsibility there, Do you not see the reason why we need to be praying for our leaders and all the decisions that they have to make and the way that they're living? We need to lift them up. That will help the political climate. Here's the third thing I would tell you as far as an action that we can take. We need to have the correct attitude. 
need to have the correct attitude. And so I say that because at the beginning when I said, hey, we're talking about politics today, I wonder how many of you are like checking out because you're like, I don't care about politics at all. Like that's just not me whatsoever. My hope would be that at the end of the sermon, you'll at least care a little bit about it, okay? Um, But talking about this idea of politics, why does it matter? As we were talking in staff meeting, one of the sayings was was, uh, told that this, that politics matter because policies matter because people matter. Like, that's the whole reason we come down to people and how we live with one another. And so there are policies that have to be set up to help us to be able to do that to the best of our abilities. But that doesn't happen without politics, without people making those decisions. And so even if you still don't agree with everything, do you understand how people are important? So there is an importance of politics that takes place. And so what should I do? Well, at the very foundation, like you should understand who you are and your biblical worldview. Understand how you see the world through God's word and saying, this is what we ought to do. And then on top of that, we ought to get involved. Like you and I, we ought to get involved. And so we ought to know the issues. We ought to know the candidates. In fact, I was looking over the last couple of weeks at our Derby paper, and it has these different things about, do you need to know about the election? Look at these things, okay? So that, that way you can be informed. But then after that, we need to vote. Now, the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt vote. Okay, I get that. But like you and I, we have given, been given this freedom and this responsibility. And in studying this week, I came across something that said there are approximately 90 million Christians in the United States, and about 40 million of them do not vote. And 15 million of them aren't even registered. Can you imagine the impact that followers of Christ could have if we actually stepped up? And I get sometimes like, yeah, but I just have one vote. But if all of those people said the exact same thing and we said, I'm going to do something about it, what kind of change could we have on the government? You know what someone else that I was talking to and I was talking to Randy White, he said one thing about voting is it's the great equalizer. You know what, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're male, you're female, whether you're educated, uneducated, whether you are um, younger or older, whatever or you want to place in there, you have one vote. Like you get to have a say in who leads us. You get to have a say in their value system at the city level, at the county level, at the state level, and at the national level. And so you and I, like we are called to be invested at least to some degree. Now, I said the correct attitude. The opposite of not being involved at all, I would say is being too involved. Now, let me explain, because some of you may be like, what in the world? I am not saying that doesn't mean do all sorts of research. I am not saying don't write letters. I am not saying don't campaign. I'm not saying don't run for office. I'm not saying don't be a lifer in any kind of like government facility. I'm not telling you any of those things. Like if God has those things on your heart, you ought to do those things. Here's what I mean by being too involved. Don't have the expectation that government is our savior, Don't have that expectation like, man, they may do a lot of good things. There's some bad things that happen too. And I am amazed at how many times the day after an election, the world is coming to an end. Have you ever just thought that? Like just heard people, man, everything is going to like just go into the dumps. Like I get it that things may be different. In fact, they probably will be after a new candidate. Things may be a little bit more difficult Things may challenge you with what you believe. They may even go against the word of God. I'm not saying they won't do any of those things. But even with all of that, the government is not the end all because you look around and we're still standing here. So sometimes we put too much importance on the role of what government can do. 
So having said that, we need to make sure that we have the right attitude. That it's not, I care absolutely nothing, but I'm not, this is the savior of the world. And if you have that right attitude, it will help you to weather the storms of politics. Here's the fourth thing that I would tell you. Know that God is still ruling. Know that God is still ruling. Like it's easy to see our human governments and see what's going on there, but we have to remember that God is still in control. He always has been and he always will be. And I'm just simply gonna let scripture speak on this point. I'm going to rapid fire, starting in Exodus chapter 15, verse 18, when Moses has freed the Israelites, well, really God has through Moses, says, the Lord reigns forever and ever. In the book of Psalms, over and over again, we hear this idea of God being in charge. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 7, the Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. Psalm 22, 28, for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Psalm 29.10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Psalm 47.8, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. Psalm 93.1 and 2, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and he's armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. In Psalm 145, 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and he is faithful in all he does. Psalm 146, 10, the Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. In Isaiah, there's this verse that we often talk about at Christmas time, but in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, it says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. If you keep going, Daniel chapter four, verse three, it says, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then fast forward to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. It says, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven, which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Like, do you simply hear the truth that God is still reigning? Like, he is still over all, and you can be confident in that. And even if there are moments that you're looking around just going, what in the world is happening? You can know him that is still ultimately in charge. I think back to Daniel chapter two, when King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, there's a statue with four different sections and then this rock comes in and breaks down the statue. The king is trying to figure out what does this mean? And Daniel comes in and interprets it. He says, those are different kingdoms that are all gonna fall. Even people like, no way, there is no way this kingdom is gonna fall. They are all going to pass away. But then there's this one kingdom that will last forever. He says, that is the church. It's God's kingdom. And so in Daniel chapter two, verse 44, He says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. You see, not only is God ruling, 
But the church has stood through so many empires that persecuted it. And then even after they were gone, the church was still left standing. Anchoring yourself in him. Anchoring yourself to him, the one who has always been, the one who will always be, the ultimate king of an unshakable kingdom, man, that really is the way to be able to live life right now. That's what he wants you to experience. Fifth action, final action this morning for us to be able to to weather the storm is this. Don't allow politics to divide us. Don't allow politics to divide us. And a lot of this is coming from a three-part series that Andy Stanley did uh, called Talking Points. And so I watched all three of those. And he asked this question right off the bat, just saying, are you willing to evaluate your politics through your filter of your faith as opposed to the other way, rather than creating a version of faith that supports your politics? So here we go. Am I first starting out with my faith? God, this is who I believe in you. This is what I believe. So because of that, I'm now going to have my political view. Or is it, well, here's my political view that I think is super important. So now I'm going to look at God through that lens. What is the foundation that you have? And as Christians, we must allow the word of God to be our foundation and to lead us. And division in the church, man, is created by our current political climate. I saw kind of an illustration a couple weeks ago. They had this mountain. They said, this is kind of what our country used to be, where here's a topic and we have people divided on both sides. And then it said, but now what it is, and they kind of drew two different mountains. It's almost like we share very little and it's got to be one way or the other way and there's no middle ground and no discussions that can happen. And that's almost the climate of what you see now. And a lot of that is because we are set up to be divided. And that's a lot because of the media. If you don't think so, how many positive political commercials have you seen recently? Like ones that after you watch it, you're just like, I feel good about that. You know what? So much of our media, they're taking things that are on the negative side. And I get when you write a story, you know, you have to create, here's the problem so then you can answer it. And so that's what a lot of things are doing here. But man, there is a lot of negativity. There are a lot of good people that are being beaten up because here's one thing that I voted for, but it's not even the whole context. So sometimes people are even like blatantly lying in certain kinds of campaigns. And that's just harsh. Really, that's all happening here. And so part of the reason for this political divide is because of fear. Like fear divides people. And you may be going, wait, wait, what do you mean fear? I haven't really felt any fear. Well, there's a lot of fear of some sort of loss when we're looking at this. Like loss of certain rights that you have. Well, if this other person gets elected, is this going to still be the same? Sometimes we're afraid of loss of, of opportunities or loss of control, the loss of the future for our children, the loss of freedom, the loss of progress. Maybe we're afraid of what might happen or we're afraid, no, but it might go back to this way that it was before. And so fear ends up dividing us. And that's what so many of the ads are. And then we also have this thing called fundamental attribution error. Okay, what that means is I look at someone else differently than myself. I judge them by their behaviors, but me based on my circumstances. And so this is what I mean. Like if someone comes in late to a meeting that you were supposed to have, maybe you begin to think, well, they're just lazy or they're unorganized. But if you're late, you're not lazy. You're not unorganized. You just had a flat tire or you just had a little bit longer to get out of the house because your kid wasn't cooperating and all this kind of stuff. And so you think about your circumstances, but when you think about them, it's just, oh, this is the way they are. And sometimes we do that with this idea of political parties and things like that. 
And so automatically, like we look at one side and we're like, oh, look at these Democrats, they're all corrupt. Or we look at all these Republicans and they're so heartless. And we begin to like just judge people based off this instead of the actual issues or the stances that are actually being taken. Man, our culture is driving us to this division and God wants us to stay united. Like you realize that the reason that people have these opinions and thoughts is because of the experiences, the way that they've been brought up. And sometimes they actually even have Bible verses on both sides of things to go, here's why we believe what we do. You know, there was a saying out there, a little poem that said, Jesus is red, Jesus is blue. Isn't it amazing how often Jesus agrees with you? And I just think about this idea. We want Jesus to come on our side and we're not looking at the other side in any way that Jesus could be there whatsoever. And Tony Evans once said, Jesus did not come to take a side He came to take over. Like he is creating a new kingdom that you and I are called to be part of. And so again, sometimes we need to look at people from the other side and realize, man, they're people just like me, that they're taking a stand for things that they believe. And again, we need to remind ourselves that people are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. One more verse we're gonna look at. Go to John chapter 17 as we're talking about this idea of division. John chapter 17, and in this, Jesus is about to be crucified, and so he is praying to God, first of all, saying, God, will you be glorified? Because of what's happened here, will you be glorified? And then he jumps to a section where he begins to pray for his disciples. And in chapter 17, go to verse 11. All right, chapter 17, verse 11, this is part of Jesus' prayer. It says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Like here at the end, out of all things to pray for, Jesus says, I am praying for these that they may be united, that they may stick together. This is my one prayer. And I don't know if you had one prayer, if that's what you would pray, but that's what Jesus says is super important. And then jump down to verse 20. Because now he begins to pray for all the believers that will come after, which includes you and me. And he says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, and may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. He's not just praying for this political or this, um, this physical protection, saying, God, will you let them be one? But then I don't know if you heard, it's like, so that people will know the message. They need to be one so that that will make a difference. People will know that I am the Messiah coming to start this new kingdom that people want to be part of. Like you and I, we can actually disagree politically and we can still love unconditionally. We can still care for each other, even if we don't agree on every political topic. We can have unity despite diversity. Now, I'm not telling you to give up your convictions, okay? Hear me, I'm not telling you that. From God's word, I'm not telling you to do that. But we must not let anything divide us. We must not let anyone divide us. Like, think about this. This country and its parties have not really been around in existence that long. And so why would we, as followers of an eternal king, allow ourselves to be divided by a temporary political system or a temporary political leader or a platform or a lesser king or even be driven by fear when Jesus over and over again said, do not fear. 
You and I, we are called to live in unity. And the unity of the early church, like it got the attention of a pagan world. And so your political candidate is going to win or lose based on how citizens vote on a Tuesday in November. But you know what the church? The church wins or loses on how we treat each other every day up to that point and then every day afterwards. Are we going to love one another? And maybe you're thinking, okay, this idea of loving each other within politics, like that's still kind of a naive thought. Well, let me tell you something else that's kind of naive. A first century, first century rabbi from nowhere grabs 12 guys who really have no political clout, and he says, I'm going to build my kingdom upon this, and the gates of Hades will not be able to stand against it. That sounds a little naive, and yet it's truth, and it worked. You know what, you and I, our hope is not in a political party. It's in Jesus. And so because our hope is in him, we can stand strong, we can hold the scripture, we can live in unity, even amongst the storms of politics. Obey and pray. Have the right attitude. Know that God is still ruling and let us live in unity. If you do those things, the world and you will both be better. So God calls us to live our life on him, to build our life upon him, to anchor ourselves to him. And so maybe even today, it might be a politics sermon is gonna change someone's heart to Jesus, maybe. Maybe like I've been placing my faith in so many other things and it's not worked out. And so I want Jesus. And if you wanna have that conversation, I would encourage you to go to the prayer room. If there are things, even amongst all this politics, that you're like, I wanna just simply spend some time praying, I would encourage you to go there as well. But may our lives be lived differently that the world takes notice and they realize that we're living for something greater. And to him be all the praise for that. Let's stand as we sing.